0: Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the Finest Service Organization, a provider of line of duty, death, loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have another great guest. We're having a little bit of a trend lately, you know, making up for having all those great police officers and law enforcement professionals on our show. And lately we've been getting a lot of great former firefighters that are doing awesome things, and that's definitely our guest today. His name is Jason Sotell. Did I get that right, Jason? I didn't ask you beforehand. Did I get that right?
1: You nailed it. There's no reason to French it up. It's Sawtelle. It's pretty simple.
0: Awesome. So Jason Sawtelle is with us. He spent many years as a firefighter in Oakland, California, and he says he's really, really passionate about writing, surfing, praying, following Jesus, and eating donuts. I, I think I could say I, I'm with you on all those, except for maybe the surfing thing. I'm not that athletic, uh, but he wrote a great book called The Rescuer that we're going to get into, but you know, I can go on and on about his resume, but let's talk to Jason. Jason, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man. This is so awesome, dude. Love what you're doing. This is so good.
0: Thank you. Thank you, my friend. And, and you've got a podcast that's uh, only 10 episodes in it's as of today. So congratulations on that. I can't wait to listen to it.
1: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Cool. Well, you know, digging in to your bio, your
0: resume, all the things that, that you've done you, you've talked about being an evangelist, and you've obviously talked about being a highly accomplished firefighter in Northern California. Yeah, Would you say that you're an evangelist that you know happened to have a career in firefighting at one time, or are you at your core a firefighter that later on became an evangelist? Let's dig into that a little bit.
1: Wow, that's a great question, and I'm going to answer it simply at first. No and no. yes and yes wow okay you know do we do we
0: leave it there audience or do we dig in for another 20 minutes oh well we're
1: gonna we're gonna dig into it because i'm not leaving it uh, that easy no it's a really good question because um i'm no longer with the oakland fire department a few years ago i broke my hips and my back and uh, there's no real big story behind it it was just a stupid thing that i did and since then I've left. Wait a minute,
0: wait a wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out. it's just a stupid thing that you did. You know, can't you at least make up a story that you like saved like a family of 18? You know, um, or, or or did or did you like fall down the steps of a firehouse? You know, how yeah. did that
1: happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first time my back, like, you know, anyone in public service, even at the nurse level, anyone that does healthcare which is fire department, even police department, you know, because they're there a lot of times too, pulling people out for us. The first time I felt it was when I was pulling out a 400-plus pound uh, woman who was trapped in a fire. Yeah. But there was another fire we were in, and it was a warehouse fire, and it used to be a metal plating shop. And I didn't see a hole in the floor, and I fell through. And that's where the fractures came from. They got healed. And then the big glamorous one that took me out that I jokingly saved, I was pulling weeds at the firehouse and it broke again. So I was done. Now I, um, I was carrying a ladder to a fire. And yeah. again, that's when one of the uh, um, breaks happened again. And it was just kind of devastating. Yeah. And to be truthful, it was one of the worst days of my life. But looking back upon it now, it's one of the best days of my life because it's opened up an opportunity for me to help out other firefighters, cops, EMS, and just anyone yeah. in general with all the things I experienced
0: yeah yeah and in all seriousness i appreciate your service and uh as some of our audience will realize and others not so much you know carrying all that equipment including the ladder that's heavy stuff man so yeah (laughs) yeah. Yeah,
1: so it definitely is and and to fall back also because i don't want to to, uh lose your question believe it or not i grew up as a faithless man And all the way until the age of 28, I was faithless. And I actually did not like Christians, so I definitely wasn't an evangelist. then. it's not because Christians were doing anything wrong. It was just because I saw they had something that brought them comfort, brought them peace, brought them happiness, and growing up in a life of chaos, and then going through all the struggles of my childhood plus my early adulthood. They just bug me. Anyone happy for that matter. Heck, if I ran across a Buddhist who was happy, it wouldn't make me happy because I was a young, angry man. And then at the age of 28 is when a series of just crazy events started happening in my life. And I started realizing that God was using them to to draw me closer to his son. And that's kind of what my book is about. It's not a religious book per se. I mean, in chapter two, I'm cursing a pastor out of our firehouse. So it kind of shows you who I was. But more importantly, it shows people my journey and my faith. And so I would say I would be more of a messed up, lost individual who was saved by the grace of God, who now just wants to show other people the message he gave me and uh, let them figure it out on their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we all have a journey and i um, appreciative that you're sharing a bit of yours, not only on this show, but uh, in that book. And uh, I'll mention it again. It's uh, The Rescuer. And uh, if you're listening or watching the show and interested, uh, go on Amazon and go ahead and, and find it. Um, but maybe digging into maybe the book as well as the podcast and some of the other things that you mm-hmm. do. You had mentioned, uh, I believe it was on your website, the uh, desire to, to share Christ-centered stories. And I would like to think that given my faith, I, I know where you're going with, mm-hmm. with that. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's a good question. What exactly is a Christ-centered
1: story? No, that's so good. Now, first off, I know that everyone listening to this isn't a Christian. And that's awesome, you know, because my job isn't to go out there and convert people. What I say a Christ-centered story for me as a person who follows Christ is to look back into my past, look back into my pain, because I believe that everything has been given to us for a reason. And the number one reason that it's been given to us is he wants us to learn from it number two he wants us to share it with other people so they can learn from it because what i have experienced may resonate with others for example when i'm trying to save the life of a child who i can't and then i have to tell the mom that her child is dead well that's the hardest thing that a lot of people could go through i mean as a dad i couldn't imagine a fireman telling me that so in the heat of the battle and at the moment Am I using that story to bless other people? No, I'm not. But what I try to do is look back into those stories, look for a message of encouragement. And maybe if it's for a guy or gal out there who's struggling with PTSD to say, I've felt that pain. I never say, I know what you're feeling. That drives me nuts. It really bugs me. But I can say, I have walked in the pain of some trauma from my past. And this is what I felt at the time. Over the years, this is how I've grown from it. And this is how I've grown out of it. And what I try to do then is keep it because if I don't stay faith-based, I'm being fake. So again, I'm not pushing it on them. I'm saying this is the hope I got from that situation and from that story. So the Christ centered message that you're talking about for me is everything given to me. There is a Christ centered message in there, but I also need to say it in a way the world can hear because not everyone has accepted the Bible as their truth. And I fully get that. How do I get that? Because for 28 years, I thought the Bible was a pack of lies. Mm -hmm. Well, if anyone comes at me now and says it's a pack of lies, I'll say, well, respectfully and lovingly said, I see that's where you're coming from, but please respect the fact that this is where my truth comes from. And so therefore, any message I give will be quote, Christ-centered. And that's why I like to say I write Christ-centered messages, but I do it in a way where we can all hear it. Just like with me, I'm going to listen to a Muslim's experience just as much as I'm going to listen to a Buddhist experience just as much as I'm going to listen to a universalist experience. Now I will draw my own faith-based conclusions out of them But I'm never going to discredit them for what they experience. And I'm also going to grow from their stories.
0: Yeah. Great, great answer to what turned out to be a more complex question than I had had originally expected.
1: Welcome to my world. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Why I obviously, you know, love the the faith-based place that you're coming from, but you know, also on maybe more of of a surface level. I, I love what you inferred there, or I deduced from what you said, is that so many of us, in in even a good place, in the with the, for the right reasons and trying to help somebody, uh, whether it's a serious situation or just somebody going through a somewhat rough time, you know, we we have this habit, and, and Stephen Covey used to call it something to the effect of. Uh, playing your own home movies for somebody else Mm -hmm. yeah and and naively thinking not wrongly or viciously but naively thinking oh i went through this you know let me tell you what happened to me 27 and a half years ago and this is going to solve your problem yeah, even even if it is similar, it's still your experience from a different environment than what that other individual is going through. It sounds like you know, your approach is this and you, as you said it, this is the pain that I went through. And maybe maybe this story helps you. Maybe it doesn't, but yeah, you know, I think this may help without yeah. trying to push that movie onto somebody else. That I, I pick up on that, or my yeah, no, not, you, or both. You nailed,
1: no, you <laughs> nailed that. You nailed that out of the park and stuff. That's exactly so. To break it down, kind of think of it like this: when someone calls nine one one. When I would show up as a four-man engine company or a five-man truck company in the city of Oakland, and we respond to your house, whether it was for a medical emergency or maybe in a fire, I didn't show up and say, hey, I'm a Christian. (laughs) No, that wasn't it. I showed up. I just showed up. That was it. And so when I'm going through life, when people approach me, especially since my book has hit the shelf a lot of people want to talk to me about PTSD or have me talk into their programs about PTSD. And what I tell people is I just show up, but I show up as the person I was made to be. And I think that brings some legitness on any level. So again, when you respond to an emergency call, if someone's having a heart attack, we treat the heart attack and we get them to the hospital. Well, when I show up to someone who's struggling, I show up to help them in their struggles, get them to the hospital, if you will, you know, but like I mentioned, I don't come in beating my chest like I'm a Christian. More times than not, people are never going to know I'm a Christian. All they're going to know is, wow, that guy helped me. That guy poured some, quote, love into me in a way maybe I haven't felt before. And that's the whole, quote, planting of the seed that I just love to do. So I just try to do it in a realistic sort of way, but with a non-religious take on it.
0: Coming this March 27th through the 29th, 2022 in Savannah, Georgia is the first public safety business summit, a program specifically created for organizations that serve first responders. What you will experience is a high level of networking and collaboration among like-minded leaders who are in the business of serving first responders. What you won't get are a series of boring lectures with no interactivity ridiculous golf outings that are only appealing to a few attendees, or a couple of retreaded subjects that you can hear at any credit union league event that are just thrown into the curriculum. We offer an engaging agenda where attendees even help to determine the content during the actual conference based on their unique needs. If you run a business, a credit union, or a nonprofit that specifically serves first responders, then the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. For more information, go to www.PoliceCreditUnions.com or call 331 We hope to see you in Savannah on March 27th, 28th, and 29th of 2022. For, for the record and on camera and microphone, if uh, I had a compound fracture and you as a firefighter were coming to help me and led with, Hey, I'm a Christian too. By seeing my cross, I'd be pretty pissed.
1: Mm-hmm. So I I I'm there. For- You're in pain. <laughs> you need my morphine. Okay. (laughs) You don't need my faith at that exact moment. Now don't get me wrong behind the scenes. Am I praying? Am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of that Emmy, but at the end of the day, I need to relieve the pain that you're having, get that thing sealed up and get you off to the trauma center. So you're exactly right there.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is a little off the beaten path, because, and I want to get back to the rescuer and and your particular story, Uh, but uh, for my audience and even for my own edification. Um, What was it like to be a firefighter in, you know, what, you know, I see as a big and really complex city like, like Oakland, you know, it's not, you know, every, every firefighter job is tough, whether you're, you know, in Cal Fire, you know, fighting firefight, you know, big wildfires or, you know, working, you know, in a suburb for a medium-sized city, every, every firefighter job is tough, but I got to think, you know, Oakland, you know, that had to keep you busy, man.
1: Yeah, it was an eye-opener because, I became a firefighter at the age of 18, actually Mm -hmm. with CDF, which is now Cal Fire Mm -hmm. in Riverside County back in 1993. Then I went to paramedic school and landed in Oakland. And when I landed in Oakland, it wasn't culture shock for the people that were there. It was culture shock because it's a city that was built in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it was an industrial city and it was built with Victorians and big timber buildings and Five story apartment buildings, you know, built in the 1910s, and they're so flammable. Well, then you put a bunch of people in a small area because between the Oakland Hills and the Bay, there's a small little swath of flat, what we call the flatlands there, that the majority of the people live in. So the culture shock was just the pure volume of fire we went to. Yeah. Well, also in the late 90s, early 2000s, the quote, crack wars that we hear about and stuff, they were still hot, you know, they they were, you know, still going on. So the amount of murders that we went to and the amount of mur- like the other day, I read that I think there had 168 murders in the city. Some, you know, don't quote me on that just yeah. so far this year. And it just breaks my heart. So the culture shock there. And then my firehouse was located just a few doors down from where the Black Panther Party started. <laughs> in West Oakland so a very old district of town that was intertwined with the old school victorians those apartment buildings i told you about where you know you have 300 people living in an apartment building well when you catch a fire on the second floor yeah. You could have a hundred people on the floors above that need to be rescued as we're trying to get the fire. So it's just a, it's a very diverse place to fight fire. And the last thing I'll throw out there about it is no matter where you work, it's a diverse environment. You know, I've been down to the Santa Ana wind driven fires down there in Southern California. Holy smokes, you know, but what we have is you could be go from a high rise fire to a wildland fire in the Oakland Hills to a Victorian fire to fighting fire underground and underwater in the trans bay uh bart terminal or yeah. tube where we've actually lost firefighters in a fire there long before i was hired but it's it's just a very diverse city firefighting wise and then when it comes to the diversity of the citizens living there that's where the beauty is because i love diversity
0: yeah yeah i'm sure you know it Older, flam, highly flammable home made of wood, coupled with drugs, is just you
1: know a perfect
0: yeah. oh, <laughs> a yeah. perfect equation for a fire.
1: <laughs> it's, I tell you what, you know, and it's heartbreaking too because not every like don't get me wrong, the majority like any place, the citizens are good, but mm-hmm. the the tough element the criminals they're the loudest ones that like to quiet down all the good people you know so all we hear about is the horrible but you're correct there you know and it breaks my heart when you would see a young man or a young woman selling drugs out of their grandparents house knowing that the grandparents were kind wonderful people but the bad things that they would bring into the house that that's the part that would break my heart again not just oakland i know that's any community nationwide
0: yeah, I completely agree with you. And and for anybody listening that cares, a fully wooden house is a great place to start a meth lab.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or with the, you know, what would get us to is the knob and tube wiring. Because the wiring was still built in the early 1900s, but then it was loaded with flat screen TVs, microwaves, all this other stuff. And, you know, there is a select group of people. I always used to drive me nuts. And I'm not saying how white my feelings are personally... They would do some drugs and then start cooking dinner at 3 a.m. and fall asleep. You know, I'm like, yeah. yo, lay off the weed. Don't be smoking <laughs> weed at 3 a.m. to start cooking a turkey dinner. Okay. Because yeah. you're gonna fall asleep and your house is gonna burn down. So I do like to bring kind of light into those bad situations yeah. with those stories, also.
0: Yeah, I don't smoke a cigar when I'm tired sitting in my own bed. Um, right, anyhow, right. Yeah, <laughs> logic, people, you. logic, yes, amen, um, brother. <laughs> but kind of sticking with the job and then segueing back to the main crux of our discussion which is your your teachings and and what you offer out there you in doing a little bit of research on you you, you talk about yeah, that day with a jumper on the Bay Bridge as being you know, kind of that moving turning point of, of your life can you share a little bit more about that with us
1: yeah definitely and so to that moment, what we were doing was we were responding to the Bay Bridge, the bridge between San Francisco and Oakland. So no, it wasn't the the Golden Gate Bridge, but we get our share of jumpers too. And there was a gentleman who was getting ready to jump and CHP gave me the whole rundown. And obviously because you know, we slide more medical and he's a medical patient. They have us kind of come in and start talking to him as we're waiting for a professional to get there. Um, To help us out, more times than not, they come back over when when we're talking to them. You know, other times they do need the psychologist to be there. This particular time, I was talking with the guy and just you know, making dialogue with him in a real way. Because as you guys know, if you just walk up and you start fakely talking to people and there's no connection, it's not going to work. Right. Well, when I started talking with this guy, I just saw an emptiness in his eyes. I saw something that I saw in my own eyes when I looked in the mirror because of my childhood was very, very rough. My younger years were tough, being a high school dropout, just being an outcast in society Mm -hmm. was tough. And then when I became a fireman at the age of 18, my brain was still developing and I was having to care for people who I really didn't know how to care for, but I was put into that position. So the PTSD attached itself to me. -hmm. So when I was talking to this man, I could see that same emptiness. And I remember we are I was like, all right, bro, come on back over the rail. And I thought I had him, meaning he was gonna come back over. And all of a sudden his head just snaps up and he looks at me he's all, I'm sorry. And he steps back and he takes that eternal plunge right in front of me. But our eyes were locked and it just crushed me to my soul. Even though I have been on multiple other scenes where people have died, this was the first time someone had killed themselves in front of me. Mm -hmm. But what got me was when I hopped back onto the engine the pain that was inside of that man was the same pain that was inside me. So it's like it, it part of his story hopped on the fire engine with me. It rode back to the firehouse with me. When I looked into the mirror, I didn't, I'm not calling that man evil by any means, but right. the evilness of this world just loves to attack us. And sometimes it gets inside of you and it's like a black hole. And so I finally had a recognition of what this emptiness, this evil was. And I honestly felt like it was going to take me down, too, because I was becoming suicidal during that point in my life. And that was the first time I recognized it.
0: And it's an unfortunate situation, to say the least. There's probably stronger words that I could and should be using, but that's what's coming to mind right now. What it, it obviously spark something in you it created some realization from from that point what did you do what did you in that realization that you know hey i i could be him right um what what did that motivate you to to do
1: well believe it or not it actually kind of sucked because i was raised in the fire service by just amazing guys and stuff the tough guys where we didn't talk about our feelings like you know, if you choked at a fire, you know, they would call you weak. If you went back to the firehouse and something bothered you, you were considered weak. You never want to show your weakness, you right. know, and I understand that mentality of generations past. And, I, you know, I do wish there was a wee bit of that left because we have gotten a little too soft, but I, you know, th- the thing was, there was no balance. It was just all hardcore with not a little balance of place to let it go. So during the months following, I had no place to leave it. And what I explain is every Response we go to, we leave a piece of ourselves there, whether it's physical, emotional, or anything, we leave piece of ourselves, but we also pick up a piece of that scene. And the scenes that when we pick up a piece of those rocks, eventually they're going to weigh us down. And if we don't have someone to help pull that bag of rocks away from us or lift them up or help us out with them, they're eventually going to take us down too. And so I went through a series of more calls, like, you know, it's not like just during that time in my life, I went to fatality fires and shootings. I went before then, during then and after then, but that was the time in my life, they were just really affecting me. And it got so bad that I finally came to a point where I was like, you know what, I just don't want to be here anymore. I just, Mm -hmm. I just want to be done. And what actually ended up saving my life was a friend reaching out to me because he was a San Francisco fireman. We became friends by the city I lived in and so, stuff. Well, one morning he came by my house and it was literally 10 seconds out from when I was getting ready to take my own life. And he just looked in my eyes like, you okay? And he, he wasn't asking. He's was basically saying you're not okay. Right. But he's saying in a brother way. And he's like, let's go have breakfast. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to go surfing instead. He's like, yeah, you're not going to go surfing. We're going to breakfast. Well, what the crazy thing is, he didn't even know he saved my life until I started writing my book and I told him the story that just reaching out to me is what saved my life. And it kind of like helped me turn the corner and start seeing that there was good in this world.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm personally glad that he showed up in, yeah. within those ten seconds. Otherwise, wouldn't have the 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 benefit of of your wisdom and what you're sharing today. Um, to to keep it lighter, what the hell did you have for breakfast that day,
1: dude? We had, you know, not me. So lo- lovingly said, I'm from the blue colored fire department in Oakland. So we're like the ugly kid sister to San Francisco. Remember, 747s land in San Francisco full of tourists and. The those tourists love to spend money there but what's the first thing they're told stay out of oakland Oakland, right yeah so so he had see see that bay
0: bridge over there
1: (laughs) don't go don't bother
0: (laughs) right so he
1: probably i don't know he had a mocha china frappa whip with some sprigs and twigs and stuff and i probably had some uh, bacon and sausage Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I should go back to the bio. It says you like to eat donuts. So I
1: love know. donuts. Unfortunately, my diabetes does not like donuts, but I'll be honest, yeah. when my wife's not around, I'll just dial it up, give myself a little extra shot of insulin and yeah. hit a donut. For those health gurus out there, just leave me alone. And for those of you who are not health gurus, don't follow in my footsteps, okay? <laughs>
0: well you know fortunately i I don't have diabetes at least right now although it does run in my family so i try to to stay away from that but there's 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 something about like a really really good donut like you know i mean if you go if you go to new orleans you got to go to cafe du monde and Mm -hmm. you know basically their Mm -hmm. version of a donut beignet there's just something about a good fresh donut man <laughs> Oh
1: yeah, for me it's a slightly undercooked apple fritter right so it still has mm. that kind of doughy moistness to it yeah. not, not where you taste the dough but I don't like a burn apple fritter but a slightly yeah. undercooked apple fritter let's go bro that that's that'll take me to the grave <laughs>
0: yeah interesting now now that we've gone down a complete rabbit hole I don't know how we went from 10 <laughs> yeah. seconds yeah. With yeah.
1: suicide to donuts to, to, I think to apple a good,
0: fritters, but yeah bro,
1: that's a good place <laughs> to be because I want people People to see the light and if it's yeah. through a warm apple fritter and it gets them yeah. away from all the disparage are going through let's go but i do want to kind of throw this out it, it was it. kind of hard little segment there that we we're talking about for anyone who is in that darkness that i was in you guys reach out you know just reach out to someone put it upon yourself to reach out for those of you that see someone in that dark area reach out to them i just want to throw that out there and bring them a donut
0: yeah, yeah, bring bring them a good, you know. I'm a Dunkin' Donuts guy there you from go. Chicago, there you but go. Yeah. Uh, uh, whatever donut is is there. If you're in Cincinnati, you probably you know want uh, what the hell is it? Holtzman, Holtzman's okay. is the name of those donuts. Anyhow, before it turns into a donut show, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what what you say? I've uh, fortunately, while I've certainly gone to a lot of dark places in my head, I've Ooh. I've never contemplated suicide enough to actually begin the act of doing it Mm -hmm. um thank the good lord but i do know of people that you know have Mm -hmm. gone down that road and are fortunately still with us and uh, one individual who has been on a couple of my shows sean douglas
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, former Air Force veteran, um, current Air Force veteran, former Air Force uh, professional that uh, has done a number of shows, including Life Transformation Radio has mm-hmm. echoed the exact same thing that, that you said, which is, you know, if you're going down that road, you know, reach out to somebody. Right. Um, and I don't know what your situation was, but, you know, he had a loaded firearm and a full bottle of Jack Daniels mm-hmm. and chose to do something different, uh, which we're, we're grateful for. So, uh, and one of, one of our public safety partners is serve and protect, which is a 24 seven hotline. Uh, full of, of experts mm-hmm. and former first responders, and I, I feel the need to, to put this in here. Um, you can, if I had the number, I would I would definitely say it out loud now, but I don't know the number right. offhand. Yeah, but go yeah. go go to policecreditunions.com and you could look up serve and protect, or just type in serve and protect. There are you know former firefighters, police officers, EMTs, uh, healthcare workers, so on and so forth that understand you know what you're going through, yeah. and sometimes you're just calling and talking to somebody um, right. is, no, I, is
1: really all you need. So I fully agree with that, man. Good, good yeah. job there. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no, not a problem. And, and it's certainly, you are know, getting, getting our public safety professionals, the help that they need is, is something that's uh, sincerely important to us. I do want to delve into this, maybe a little bit of a, a rabbit hole, but then we'll circle back mm-hmm. to um, the, uh, the, the rescuer and your, your teachings. Um, you made a really really salient point in that you know we, we talked about all right we, we've kind of swung the pendulum you know, where it, it, and I completely agree with you, not having been a firefighter or a police officer, I've had the privilege to work with many police officers. So I've heard the stories, your story of, well, you've got to just keep it in is not unique to you. I've, I've heard Ooh. it from uh, cops, 911 operators, so on and so forth, you know, for, for decades now, it seems like we, we've really, swung the pendulum from you know hold it in you know be a man you know be a woman you know put on your big girl panties big boy pants and move on it's it's the job to which is good I I like the phrase of it's okay to not be okay but you know you you also have to be able to say okay I'm not okay you know but not sit in a corner in in a fetal position either for months and months and months Yeah, I think that there's somewhere in between of, you know, being able to say, I'm not okay, and having the introspection to say, all right, I'm not okay, what is it that I really need? Do right, I no. do I do I need to talk to somebody? Do I just need to have a conversation? Do I just need a vacation? You know, do I need you know a professional? What what is it? I'm not okay. What is it that I really need rather than going to the full other part of the of the spectrum and say, okay, right. I, I I've you know I got PTSD, PTSD. I need a whole slew of therapists. I need a six month sabbatical. All that. You know, I, I think that there's a middle ground there that we're not quite too... Yet, yeah. Am I speaking out of turn, or is there no? You're no. You're
1: speaking perfectly. The way that I look at it is, if I show up and I give a heart attack victim medications for a stroke, I could kill them. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, if I show up to a stroke victim and give them medications for a heart attack, I could kill them. So what do I do? I do a full assessment of the situation. Okay, do I put a band aid on an arterial bleed? No, I don't. Are there people struggling with trauma that are currently having arterial bleeds? Yeah, they need it all. They need the trauma center. They need all that. Are there other people that are just in a funk? Okay, well, let's assess that and get them. But I am also a believer of being intentional that if you're sitting in the stink, hopefully there comes a point where you're like, I'm just tired of this stink. I want to get out of it, right? You have to be intentional by climbing out of that outhouse toilet, if you will. It would be like this. Say like, I want to drop some weight. Well, I got to be intentional on changing my diet, making some changes in my life. So there's definitely some intentional changes that we must make. But when you're in the depths, in that pit of hell, you do need to have people around you to help you focus, see, and climb out of that and give you what you need and point you in the right direction with the tools you need to get better. So there isn't a one size fits all. It's a, what are you struggling with? Like someone asked me, how many times have you been to cardiac arrest? I'll be honest with you, thousands of times. How many times have you had to tell people their families that thousands of times, how many times has it bothered you? Maybe a few times. And I'm not being heartless. When I say right. they all bother me and I'm given sympathy and empathy, but I don't know why some have clung to my heart and have hurt me, right? Yeah. And so I don't want to make it a broad spectrum, but I definitely tell those out there that are struggling, reach out for help. But the problem being is my generation, which is still out there, we're told to be strong. And maybe some of the thing, maybe someone's struggling with alcohol or drugs, and they are in the fire department or police department. Well, that's a big no-no, is because we're held to higher standards. But maybe the trauma of the job has pushed you into that. Well, now you're scared to ask for help because you might be put on a last chance contract, or right. or you know people look down upon you. So I think we need to take the stigma away from it. So people will reach out for the help they need and then also not just make it a coverall because I have a bunch of my buddies who have been to treatment centers that wouldn't work for me. Then I have some people who have gone faith based and it didn't work for them. We have to find the one that's going to work for them and what they're struggling with. And that's my honest opinion. So I'm in total agreement with you on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's I completely agree with you You a great discussion you know maybe a a deeper discussion for for another day I think that you know for uh to kind of close this loop and then Mm -hmm. move on yeah I think for for anybody out there struggling yeah I think that it's okay to not be okay is to the first step is to realize all right you know I'm working with something here what is that next step you know maybe Maybe that next step is to go to church. Maybe that next step is to call to, call buddy. Or, you know, maybe mm. that next step is to, you know, actually see somebody on a professional level. You know, yeah. only not,
1: o- yeah. only
0: you can really answer that question right. at first.
1: Yeah. yeah, not being okay is not a good place to stay. You yeah. should not stay there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, this is kind of a good segue. You And you, you maybe already answered it indirectly through what's been an insightful discussion what do you want people to take away from your book your teachings your podcast what is there is there like one thing you know it's like you know if you maybe not necessarily your story but you know Mm -hmm. if you could just take this one thing away I've I've I I would I I've done something and you will find some value
1: no, that's what's so good. So number one, the main thing I wanted people to take away from my book is that there is hope. And obviously, my hope lies in Christ. So that's the, that I can never step away from that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there's multiple things. Because then when people come to my podcast, like, yo, is this the same heartfelt loving guy who has the Facebook page, Jesus is all we need? I'm like, yeah, because that's also a message I'm given. But my podcast mm-hmm. is called cancel this because i'm so tired of the cancel culture so people say (laughs) wait hold on you're an evangelist well yeah when i'm evangelizing and i'm always evangelizing but that doesn't mean i can't talk about things of today and things that are driving me nuts inside and outside the church I talk about everything. So, my biggest takeaway is for anyone like it, my book, I dedicated to everyone thought I'd it to my wife because she comes in in chapter 13 mm-hmm. and she actually invited me to church or was going to dump me. So, there's like a really cool <laughs> story. Yeah, really good story there. So, everyone thought, and she's the love of my life. And I wanted more of what she had. Obviously, I wanted her to. That sounds kind of weird, but let's keep it real, okay? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, we're all human. Good
0: good for you, man. (laughs) Right, but,
1: but so people look at that. So I didn't dedicate my book to her. I dedicated it to anyone who is lost, lonely, or hurt. I just wanted them to know that the hope I had was also there for them. And then take that for any part of your life that you need it obviously my hope comes from above but i want people to walk away knowing that there is hope with any message i give and that's even when i do my podcast on the cancel this like i had john schneider on uh last week from dukes of hazard and we were talking about the canceling of the dukes of hazard uh him living with johnny cash all that kind of stuff but i still made sure at the end of it i left it with a message of hope because that's just what i want to give people is hope
0: yeah Yeah. Awesome. And, and hope takes on a a bunch of different forms. So some, for some it's Christ for some, it's something else. So, you know, whatever, whatever your hope is, you know, I I hope that uh, if you're in the audience and you need it, that, that you find it. Um, Speaking of finding where can people best find you, find your book, find your podcast, all that fun stuff. How can they find a Jason Sautel out there in the world?
1: Uh, well, first off, I'm uh, pretty sure they don't want to find me. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> you only <laughs> um, find me if you've yeah. got an apple fritter. To, right, you if you have an apple
1: fritter and you want to talk, because believe it or not, I actually, um, my book is just nationwide, it's worldwide, you know, I'm getting messages from Australia and stuff. So I try not to hype it up as a look at me, but it's just really cool to see it all around the world. And now there might be a movie coming out about it and all just really cool stuff. But I answer every single message that comes my way, whether it's through my Facebook page, whether it's through my book, I put my email address in the back of the book, um, I answer them. But the best way to find the book is people go to Amazon and they just look up The Rescuer, One Firefighter's Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love That Saved Him. Um, it's available at all the local bookstores. You can find the book at rescuerbook.com. Um, and then, you know, just Google my name out there. and I'm sure it'll pop up my Facebook page and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, I will uh, attest to that if you punch in Jason Sautel in Google or what, whatever search engine you want to use. I think there's Bing and a couple others out there. Uh, the book comes up, his website comes up. Uh, Jason is is pretty easy to find if uh, you uh, want to learn more about him and, and what he's about. Um, I've certainly learned what you're about, and I like every bit of it, man. I had a great discussion with you thanks for taking some time with us today man
1: oh man i so appreciate you and i love what you're doing man so if there's anything i can do to help you or any of your folks that are uh, out there listening feel free to hit me up i
0: appreciate that and odds are i will take you up on that offer thank you so much jason and thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of public safety talk radio and we'll be back with you next week with another great guest Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement, as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.PoliceCreditUnions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.